You have questions? We have answers. We're two Southern moms on the backside of raising kids. And we have some things to say. We've lived life, made mistakes, and learned some lessons. Join us for answers to the questions you, you just, just want to ask your mom. mom. This is the first of a two-part conversation that we had on confidence and women. After about 40 minutes, we realized this is too good to stop. We want to continue on. So we had an extended conversation and we've created a two-part podcast. So today, part one of Confidence and Women with Kelly McCasland. Hey, welcome to another Just Ask Your Mom podcast. I'm Renee Sproles. And I'm Bonnie Playlock. Well, if you are a hashtag girl mom, You're likely familiar with the idea of girl power and all its manifestations in movies, music, and culture. So on today's podcast, we want to take a look at confidence, where it comes from, and how we can best give that to our daughters from the perspective of a Christian worldview. Yeah, I think this is such a loaded topic, and it's going to be so good. I'm excited for it. And we have a guest with us today to help walk us through this conversation. We're excited to introduce Kelly McCaslin. Welcome, Kelly. Good morning. Thank you for having me. (laughs) Uh, Can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Yeah, I am 44 years old. I'm married to Evan. We just celebrated our 20th wedding anniversary. We have two children, a boy and a girl. I am a Middle Tennessee born and bred native, and um, I live outside Murfreesboro now. Okay, awesome. And you tell us what you what's your background in? I'm a registered dietitian by education. I also have my master's in exercise science. I'm not practicing dietetics right now. I manage some rental houses and I substitute at a local elementary school and do the mom thing. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Yeah. Well, I happen to have been in a class of yours that you taught oh, some months ago, I guess, mm-hmm. um, locally. And the topic was on confidence. And I thought, well, that was interesting. And I went because it was you. And I just wanted to know, why did you come up with confidence as your topic when you were asked to speak? You could have done anything. Yes. And they, when they asked me to speak, they said, it's wide open. What do you want to talk about? And at first, I didn't know what I wanted to talk about. Um, but I kept thinking about what is important? What is going on? What do I see? Because I didn't grow up in the church. I attended sometimes, but I wasn't a Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night attendee. And I just started seeing, because I'm also a big people watcher. I love to people watch. And so I've always felt that confidence is important. And I feel that I have good self-esteem and good self-confidence. But when I people watch, I've noticed through the years that I think a lot of our problems from the female end in the American culture could be solved if females had better self-confidence. Now, of course, I'd like to say this has nothing to do with people who've been sexually abused, physically abused, emotionally abused. I'm not touching any of that. But just in general, for healthy females in America, I believe that lack of self-confidence is leading us to lots of troubles. I agree with you. I was actually talking to a couple of doctors recently. One is a, a surgeon, and so he sees people in, um, you know, crisis who've got the diag- gotten the diagnosis they don't want to get. And he said, I would take a female patient every day of the week over a male patient. They are the toughest um, patients I have. They're willing to do whatever it takes 
to get well, mm-hmm. to suffer. And I said, you know, I don't think we see ourselves that way. Mm. And, and so I'm so excited about this conversation because I hope that we can not only explore how to have more confidence, but maybe see ourselves as other people are already seeing us. Hmm. I was shocked by that. Yeah. I would have said, I would have actually said the opposite to that. Yeah. I would have said we as female patients tend to capitulate and do as we're told and not fight back and not ask the questions and the hard things. So that's good. I think that's positive that he is seeing that. Maybe yeah, it's he, a change from what I would have expected. He said, especially women with children still to raise is never seen anybody fight so hard. Mm. That determination of mm-hmm. a need to be here. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So let's get started. Let's jump sure. in. Yeah. So where do you think we get our confidence and what might affect it? I mean, you touched on something at the beginning that would definitely affect it. Abuse. Yes. But there's lots of other things. I think the problem is most females now in America get their confidence from society. And that's the problem because the culture changes every day. Or maybe not the culture, but the trends, the influences, the what's important, what's not important. That's changing every day. And I see this in little girls and older women that are ahead of me, more seasoned ladies of just fluctuating in their confidence based on what's out there in society, what's being said. And I think we need to go back to our identity is in Christ, and that is where our confidence should come from. We are made in His image. He knows the number of hairs on our head. He created us to be fearful and, and wonderful, and and I think we've just, we're so far removed from that concept, and so that's why there's just such a fluctuation in people's confidence and and lack of. Hmm. I would agree with that. I want to throw in here 2 Corinthians 3, 4, which reads, Such confidence we have through Christ before God. Not that we are competent in ourselves to claim anything for ourselves, but our competence comes from God. And that's exactly what you were saying. Mm-hmm. I, and God doesn't change. Yes. He's the same always before and now and in the future. So we can rest our assurance in that. Yeah. Definitely. So this conversation cannot be had without discuss- discussing the F word. That's right. Feminism. <laughs> that's right. And I'm going to yes. take on that. So that's a good point, Renee, because a lot of people think of that as a dirty word. Mm-hmm. And... Um, you and I grew up in the, you know, seventies, eighties, mm-hmm. right. Where I think it had a very different connotation than it does even today. Yeah. Technically speaking, there's been four waves of feminism and it's good to kind of just have that in your head. So, you know, kind of where we are in the landscape, where we've been and yeah. where we're headed. I was like, I know a lot of Gen Z ladies right now, my own daughter probably included who's I guess Gen Z right around mm-hmm. the, on the cusp of that, who probably couldn't tell you what feminism was or w- what it stood for or where it's going and has very little interest in it. So I, th- I find that interesting just in our political landscape. Mm-hmm. But um, you said you think it's been hijacked. Yeah. I, I, you know, I do a ton of writing on gender. And so I, mm-hmm. I talk to a lot of theologians mostly about this topic. And there's a thing called intersectional feminism, which is kind of where we are now. We're going to work our way backwards, perhaps, in the conversation. So intersectional feminism aims for inclusion of minority women. Good. 
But um, what it does is create more division because it takes any minority group you intersect with and gives you more opportunities for injustice to occur. So the more intersections you have, the greater potential you have for um, having offense. So if you're not a non-white woman, there's one. Um, If you are not heterosexual, any other thing, there's two. Um, And then you just go on from there. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, the family income and and everything else. And you can just have these infinite circles. And uh, Christina Hoff Summers, who's one of my favorite thinkers on this topic, because I think she strikes a real biblical balanced worldview on feminism, says, you know, the thing it's aiming to do, which is include intersectional feminism does the opposite because mm-hmm. it creates more and more tiny groups who are looking for offense. Yes. And so um, she's what she calls, I've heard her call herself a freedom feminist or an equity feminist yeah. um, where it aims for moral, legal and social equity of the sexes, which I think you're talking about right. when you say feminism. Yes. Because that was my experience of it when I was growing up. But now it's, it's swung, I think. So um, she says, and I love this, within living memory, the American women's movement was a valiant, broad-based vehicle for social equality. Yay. We, right. I think we can all get behind that. I agree. <laughs> it achieved historic victories and was rightly admired for its determination and success. But today, big feminism is a narrow, take-no-prisoners special interest group, which sees the world as a zero-sum struggle between Venus and Mars. But most women want equality, not war. Men are not our adversaries. They're our brothers, our sons, our husbands, and our friends. And as Kissinger reportedly said, no one will ever win the battle of the sexes. There's too much fraternizing with the enemy. (laughs) (laughs) I love that. all three of us here have sons as well. So it's not that we're – today's conversation is – totally pro-female above everything, right? As as wives, sisters, mm-hmm. daughters, ourselves. Um, because we have sons too that we want to have confidence in the world and we want to elevate. Yes. yes. So can we just walk this conversation backwards and then draw her, draw Kelly back in? It's because we said where we are now is this intersectional feminism that's gone. It's more like gender femi- feminism too. Like there's, there's just, it's that. just gone haywire. But right. before that, in the 90s, talk about that, Bonnie like the Anita Hill stuff and people probably like our kids weren't even born. They even so they don't even that. know who's <laughs> right. Anita Hill. What are you talking about? Right. So I, I guess I would say now you, what you talked about the intersectional part um, and the me too movement, which you probably have heard of before that in the nineties, it was sexual harassment in the workplace that everybody focused on, which before that it just happened and it was just the way things were. And you just had to put up with it to keep your job. Um, there, Anita Hill brought some charges against, um, Supreme Court justice when she was clerking. And there began to be more expression of sexuality and individuality. Let's just say that again. The 90s, which is probably when a lot of our moms were born Mm -hmm. who are listening to this, it was all about expressing your individualism. The Seinfeld, not that there's anything wrong with that. That was the mantra of the day. Everybody was like, live and let live. But we've gone way beyond that. Right. So you must celebrate now. To, yeah, the emperor has yeah. no clothes. Right. Okay, then. So before that, we're in the 60s, 70s, and 80s. And that was been when Betty Friedan's famous book, The Feminine Mystique, came out, which I read. It's very interesting. And she was describing that 1950s feeling that a lot of women felt that they, uh, as they had been essential in the war effort from the 
World War II, and now they're back home again. They're sent back home. Now they've got dishwashers and and um, vacuum time, cleaners, yes, time saving gadgets, yeah. and they have all this time on their hands. And there was this belief that women who were truly feminine wouldn't want to go to work, get an education, or have opinions, which we know is not true. Right. Um, also, the pill was popularized then. Roe v. Wade mm-hmm. came into vogue then and that happened and then mommy wars back then became part of our our culture and mommy wars if you're not familiar if you're younger was women were wanting to go back to the workforce and there was this um it feminism was supposed to be about everybody gets a choice of what you want to do an equal choice because we're all supposed to be equal but my choice is better than your choice if I want to stay at home, I'm better than you who want to go to work. And if I want to go to work, then you're wasting your time at home. So it pitted us against each other as women. And, and then, then before way that, back. take yeah, us way, way back, Back Bonnie. in the 1800s up to 1920, that's when the movement really got off its feet. Um, women just wanted equality so that they could vote and own property and, and be included in inheritance. Um, and I think all of us would say that that was a good thing, although – it did not include women of color back then. That needs to be said. So yes. it's good that we're opening um, the fences to allow uh, and account for other um, other points of view and other preferences. Right. Just it, it needs to it needs to go back to its it needs to circle back to its original intent, which was to include to create as much equity as possible, so people can make the choice they'd like to make. Mm-hmm. Like we didn't have choices of what type of education we wanted to receive or what we wanted to do. And and it's worth just saying feminism needs to take women as they are, not as they wished women would be. So when in a 2013 poll, uh, the Pew Research Company asked American mothers about their ideal working arrangement, 61% said they would prefer to work part-time or not at all. Pause there for yeah, emphasis. That's a big... 61% said they would prefer to work part-time or not at all. So this was also um, found to be true among Western European women. So when women want the wrong, quote, air quotes, wrong things, feminists tend to write it off to sexism and misogyny. And but it's 2024. Mm-hmm. It's not 1960. And perhaps... We need to just let women say what they would like to do. <laughs> right. And just let it be. And let it be. Let it be. And without, you know, I've said this so many times on this podcast, my daughter could not mention the fact that she would want to work part-time or not at all when she had children, when she was going to college. Her female professors would have none of that. Mm-hmm. It would affect her grade. They would berate her. She just learned to hide it mm-hmm. and have a secret plan for her life so that could, no one... You're supposed to be getting help from college professors to help, like help me cast a vision for my life. And in, it's the exact opposite because there's one way of thinking right. in the higher ed world. And it's if you don't use your degree in the area that it's prescribed for, you're wasting your life. Yeah. And that is not true. And I think that's what your daughter and my daughter just knew instinctively. We know it's not true. That wasn't true for us. Yeah. For you and I going through school. That was not true for us. for us. And I, I... That's so weird to me. In school, I can remember I was the one standing up in my group of friends saying, hey, I'm a liberal feminist. Like, here's what I think about this and this and this. And you can't tell me, you know, blah, 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 with opinions and political views. And um, I would not say the same thing today. It's changed that much. And that 
I mean, yeah, I'm older, but it hasn't been that long <laughs> since college. But I, I think that's why we get that dirty, the dirty F word. Yeah. What feminism has come to mean and how it's changed over the years. And we just need to reclaim the language. Yeah. And I just that's why I like what Summers has done is I'm a freedom. It. I'm a freedom feminist. I'm an equity feminist. And here's what that means. So circling back to you, Kelly, where do you see the role of feminism in this, this topic of confidence? What comes to mind when we mention the F word? I have a different experience than y'all. I'm not that much younger than y'all, but um, I, I see little girls now, and I think it's pretty harmless, but wearing the t-shirts of, I'm a girl, what's your superpower, right. things like that. And I think it's pretty harmless. But as we said, we have husbands, we have sons, brothers, uncles, nephews, people that we work with that are male that we respect. And I think the feminism now that is happening in the younger generation, they don't know what came before. They don't know the legs that walked it and the what what path has been laid. And so I think it's more of a divisive thing right now that's happening. Just we collectively as females are better than y'all collectively as males. And I, I don't believe it. Going back to the scripture, God created us all. God created us differently, and we have different strengths and different weaknesses. So it doesn't need, I don't think it needs to be proclaimed like mm -hmm. that. I'm not mm -hmm. speaking of what happened with Anita Hill in the workplace and and all of that. I'm just saying in general and in, in topic, it's become a we are better than you, and I don't agree with that. We had a neighbor, Evan and I had a neighbor um, several years ago, and she was all the time talking about how strong she was, how smart she was, how capable she was of this, this, or that. And Evan would get so frustrated with her and just say, just, just be it. Just do it. You don't have to tell me about it. Mm -hmm. And that comes back to actions speak louder than words. If you're smart, just be smart. You don't have to tell me how smart you are. If you're pretty, just be pretty. Congratulations. You have a pretty face. You don't have to tell me how pretty you are. If you're determined or whatever it is, just be it. It doesn't have to be this verbal affirmation and exclamation to everybody. Right. Or advertise in some way. Yeah. Just do it. Yeah. I, I love that. Amen to that. Mm -hmm. So good. I think all of this, who you are, where you came from, all of this stuff that we're talking about in the terms of feminism and our culture and all of that stuff goes back to identity. Yes. Again. Um, and where does it come from? Yeah. So the so source does of it, identity. Yeah. Does it come from without as, as an image bearer of God? There's nothing I can do to make myself an image bearer. God's done that. Mm -hmm. Or does it come from within? Just, and to me, that's so much pressure. Like I'm supposed to look inside my heart hmm. that changes all the time and like figure out who I'm supposed to be. You know, I love a good personality test. Gifts assessment. I'm for all that. Mm -hmm. Yes. I heard, I think it was another podcast or a, a show that I was watching or listening to, and it was talking about enough. And society tells us that we are enough. Well, we're not really. If you're a believer, you know that's not true. We need God to help give us wisdom and patience and to think through the scripture and, and place that on our hearts and all that. So, as you're saying, like it's, uh, it's overwhelming. To think it's just on us, and we, I need God. I think as believers, we all need God to help us be enough. And so that baseline of identity comes from Christ. Does culture affect it? Does society affect it? 
Absolutely. But if we can always come back to that baseline of our identity is in Christ and we are his children, we are his, we are forgiven, all of those things is what the scripture tells us, then I think it gives us a good building block to start with and deal with society and who says what to us and what has impacted us on a day-to-day basis. You're reminding me of the of the phrase that we're human beings, not human doings, mm-hmm. and that your identity in Christ is that foundation. It's, it's who I am in Christ. And then everything I do can flow from that, and it's total freedom at that point. Yeah. I am a, a, a daughter of God. I teach. I Those are things I do, not who I am. Mm-hmm. Because if it's if what you do is who you are, moms, when it's taken from you, you're going to wonder who you are. Yep. So, you know, you, it's easy to see this with men, you know, that have worked 40, 50 years in a career and they retire and they're completely lost because they were confusing their identity with what they were doing. And when that's taken away, you're kind of adrift. Same thing with motherhood. Yes. You know, a lot of moms, when the children leave the nest, it's kind of who they were, not what they did. Mm-hmm. And and what happens when you lose a child, God forbid? I was having a conversation with a, a mom the other day who um, lost an adult child. And it's a real... Yeah. Foundation shaker. It is a it foundation. You've got to sort it out in your brain ahead of time. Mm-hmm. You don't have to. I mean, you can sort it out afterwards, but it's best practices right. if you get that straight in your head before the, is, before before you suffer. Right. All the things we do are just roles for a season. Yeah. Mm-hmm. None of it's really who we are. Definitely. So Kelly, one of the things that you did in that series was to, you took scenarios or topics and you kind of looked at them through this confidence lens, which mm-hmm. I loved. It was so interesting. We had such good conversation in that class. So Thank what you. do you see when it comes to a lot of women? Let's just take a topic, say finances and money. I see women who are terrified of money, who have no idea how much they have, how much they don't have, what's coming in, what's going out, what their investments are, if they have any, if they have life insurance. That's what I see, and it makes me sweat. <laughs> that's not how I was reared. Um, my my parents have been married for I think fifty. I think they just celebrated fifty two years, and from the age of fifteen, I had a checking account. And my mom is very, both of my parents are very frugal, um, budget oriented. They don't sit down and do a budget. They've always lived beneath their means. And that's just how I was taught how to live and how to handle money. But since I was 15 and my sister also, I have a sister that's five years older. We had checking accounts and mom would deposit money into that. And we'd have to pay for this XYZ out of it or pay for that out of that checking account. We'd have to budget it and balance the checkbook with the statement and all those types of things. So when I left for college, even though I didn't have to support myself independently and financially, I was capable of it. And I knew about insurance. I knew about bills. I knew I knew all the things, all the pieces of the puzzle were there. I didn't have to put the puzzle together yet, um, but I was capable. And I see women my age and older and that they're just clueless as to what they have or what they don't have. And I think that when tragedy strikes or if tragedy strikes, not only are they dealing with that trauma and that tragedy, now they're trying to figure out where's our water bill? I don't even know our account to our water bill. How do I pay that? Or did we have life insurance on 
my husband or things like that. And it just adds to the trauma Mm -hmm. that you're already experiencing. And I think that's a confidence thing of, of also, instead of saying, you know, to your husband or your, your partner, whatever, can we spend a thousand dollars on whatever? It's having the conversation of, Hey, this is where we are financially. Let's talk about this as instead of asking for permission from a husband or a partner, um, it's more of an equal knowing knowing your financial status is more of an equal conversation than asking permission. I asked permission when I was five. Can we go to McDonald's and get a happy meal? I'm a grown woman now. So it's not permission, it's an educated conversation with my husband. Right. All right. Where do you think that comes from? I see it too. Well, I see it too. I I mean, we've had conversations about money on here. And so I think that it's very common for men and women. I think it's not just a, a woman thing. I think a lot of people live with shame around money. And I think because there's over, was it 1,200 verses in scripture that talk about money? God knew like, wow, this is, <laughs> this is going to be a big part of your everyday life. And anything that's that integrated into your everyday life is going to, by its nature, be a big part of your faith. And so when we're not trained in it, or maybe we get ourselves in a bad situation, there's just shame. And what do we do when we're ashamed? We hide. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we don't want to face it. So I, I think that at least that's part of it. That's part of it. But um, I guess you only know what you know. So is it just because of what we were talking about, like back in the 50s? I mean, women couldn't have their own bank accounts or their own credit cards until like the 60s or later which it may be shocking to some people, but if our grandmothers and mothers didn't know that and never been taught, then they're not passing that skill down. So I think that's may still be some ripple effects from generations, generations. ago. And the, the Christian worldview can overcome that in a snap because, you know, I've said on here before, my dad was a young Christian when my parents married, practically brand new Christian. And he was able to see my mom in in their finances as such a strong ally and partner. He said, I never could have started a business out of our home and made a go of it without your mom's help. She was such an amazing steward mm-hmm. of the finances. Yes. And then the, in the scripture, it does, it says steward what you've been given. It doesn't mm-hmm. say men steward what mm-hmm. you've been given. So I take that as a personal responsibility as a female. If we've been blessed with income from a job, it's also my job to steward. So I'm the self-proclaimed mm-hmm. CFO in our house <laughs> because we grew up in different mindsets. That's, that's, that's typical to have yeah. two opposites. And you're usually drawn to one typical. another because the, the more liberal spending person is usually there's their, one of their gifts is generosity. Mm-hmm. And David helped me be way more generous. And I was way more frugal just by nature. And the home I grew up in was also frugal. So you do learn like there's strengths in both of those inclinations. Yes. And when we, again, look at each other as partners and allies, we can leverage both of those mm-hmm. and come out So I better. think now our, um, just to address this topic of what we tend to see, that it's on you for the next generation yes. as a mom to teach your sons and your daughters how to manage their money. I mean, it might freak you out, but give them a checking account when, oh. they're, when they're 12, right? So I have a 13-year-old and an 11-year-old, and they both have had a, I have a debit card for both of them through our banking institution for two years. Mm-hmm. And so 
they get money and for doing various things. And so we already, there's also a book that I read and I can't think of the author's name right now, but the title of the book is Give, Save, Spend. And it's about teaching your children how to work with money through those three facets. Mm -hmm. And it's a great book. And so they are already managing their money with this percent goes to this, this percent goes to this. And it's, it's a good principle that they say it's best to help them learn, you know, if they've saved up a hundred dollars on to buy a hoverboard or whatever it is, and then they get it and it breaks or they don't like it or they don't want to play with it anymore. They've realized that heartache on a hundred dollars versus they've never had any of these experiences and they're 25 and they just went and spent $25,000. And so that lesson, yes. they're learning that already. Yeah. That's great. We'll find the, we'll find the link to it and put it in the show notes. Give, save, spend. Yeah. That's, that's really good. The little bank my kids used from Crown Financial when we were little, it was the same, it was a giving, saving bank and you could just preset the percentages. So when you deposited, you know, for saving 10 or 20%, it's going to tell the little child, here's what 10% of that is. Yeah. um, Even before they know multiplication and things Mm -hmm. like that. Mm -hmm. It was just setting that mindset. So we had a we did a podcast, which wasn't your favorite, but it was a necessary one <laughs> not long ago about the book of very important things. Yeah. I know every household needs to have that book and know where it is. And it just lists for what you said in case, in case of emergency, here's yes. the glass that you break and yes. lists all your insurance policies and all your bank accounts and all the passwords and everything. Yes. Um, just for peace of mind, but for practical, practical peace of mind. Yeah. And because I'm the as I said, self-proclaimed CFO, I have, it's on Excel, what we have. So that if something were to happen to me, Evan could step in and just start taking care of all the things or if both of us mm-hmm. are incapacitated. My parents can step in or whoever mm-hmm. can step in and, mm-hmm. and see things. That's good. Bonnie's yep. all for paper. But you know, a lot of people put things on digital. <laughs> I've heard that. I've heard that. You could do it either way, listeners. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So let's run through some of the lessons we were taught and how we learned to be proficient uh, this one is interesting to me, car maintenance and driving. Yeah. What did your parents teach you? So before I could drive alone as a 16-year-old, I had to change a tire. Me so, too. Yes. And it, that is rare, I have found. I just kind of assumed this is what people were taught. My dad was the oldest of five boys. And then he, it's just my sister and me, so two girls. Um but he had us, before we could leave the driveway, we had to take the tire off, put the spare on, take the spare off, put the regular tire back on. So that if by chance we're on the side of the road, we can take care of ourselves. Excuse me. Two times when I was in a different state and you know couldn't call my dad or whoever to come help if needed, I had a flat tire and I had to change it when I was in my 20s. And so I called him both times. I was like, guess what I just did? <laughs> I changed my tire I and all these men that. just drove past. And I was so proud yeah. of just having that ability and that, that knowledge. And I was talking to a couple of years ago, a dad who had a a son and a daughter, and somehow the topic of car maintenance and driving and teens came up. And so I told that story of how my dad taught us how to change tires. It was a requirement. And he said, I haven't taught my daughter how to do that yet because I don't want her stranded on the side of the road, getting out, you know, being on the side of the road, exposed, that kind of thing. And I thought, okay, but you would rather her be a sitting duck and waiting on 
Bubba, who you don't even know, like road maintenance or, you know, whoever to come and save the day. That's what you would rather her have. I didn't say that. I had my manners with me that day (laughs) at that moment. But I did say, I bet you've taught your son how to change his tires. And he said, yeah, I have. Mm -hmm. So just the difference of that Mm -hmm. alone is, and that was just probably two or three years ago. Mm -hmm. I, I, yeah, same thing. My dad taught me that, and I've had to do it myself. When my daughter was eight months old in the car, mm-hmm. there I was by the side of the road, oh, and I wow. had to change the tire. So, yeah, that definitely, it's a universal thing. You can YouTube anything these days and figure it out yourself, but but knowing how to do it and having that pride of having done it, there's your confidence. That's where that comes from. Yes. I can figure it out. I can do it myself, and I don't have to be the damsel in distress. Absolutely. How about power tools? Yard work, can you use those? Oh, we were treated just <laughs> as if he'd had, and I say this loosely, as if he'd had boys growing up. My parents, as if they'd had boys. We did any chore that was there. It didn't matter if we were boys or girls. That was our chore that we needed to do. My, our least favorite chore was because we had dogs and dogs in the neighborhood. We had to go pick up the poop with oh, I hated that. shovels oh, yeah. and put it at the base of trees or shrubs before he mowed. And, you know, so just any chore, it didn't have a... This is a girl job. This is a boy job. It was, this is the job that needs to be done. Let's do it. Yep. Yep. There's something, I, I was just at the beach and had time to read, and I was just reading the brain psychology of um, completing a hard task. And there's the, it's actually creating pathways in your brain when you start, a, start something that's difficult and complete it. But when they map the brain of people who have started something hard and quit, there's actual gap, like a gaping hole oh. in the highway in your brain. So the brain is plastic. Worry not, listener. If you have <laughs> started <laughs> something stopped. hard and quit, you can start something else hard and complete it and create those pathways. I think it's really neat how God made our brains to um, build and be stronger when we do these kinds of things. Yes. You don't want to scoop the poop in the yard, but you did it. But you did it. You don't want to change the tire. But you can do it, and mm-hmm. you have done it. Yes, it's it really neat. Yep. What are what are two things your dad told you before moving out? So, I was eighteen when I graduated high school, and that summer, right before I was moving away to school to college, he took me to lunch, and um, I had no idea what was coming. And he said, "There's two things I need you to know before you move out on your own, because I am petite." My sister's petite. My mom's petite. My grandmother's are petite. You sound petite. <laughs> That's right. How tall are you? You can't see Kelly on this podcast. Uh-huh. I'm so she's... five foot first thing in the morning. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so she's a jack. Yeah. Little. Um, he says, there's two things you need to know. The first thing is, if you ever get arrested, it doesn't matter the time, the location, the situation, whatever it is, call me. I w- we will solve the problem. We'll deal with the issue later. But call me if you need help. The second thing was you need to know how to go from nice to bitch in one second. Mm-hmm. And I've had to I do like that. Your dad. I don't even know him. <laughs> <laughs> it, was, it was very empowering. Yeah. And I say my dad was saying this. My mom supported that, but it was just that I was with my dad. But it's very empowering. And the whole thing about getting arrested, I think that's not a conversation in a lot of Christian homes because you know, you're assuming good, that's not going to happen. Good little Christian girls don't get in trouble, right? But they do. They do. And it was, it was so nice to have a landing spot if I needed it. You know, 
truth, I've never been arrested. So I didn't need that. But it was nice just to have a spot that if if things went awry and went south real quick, I knew I could call my parents and, hey, this has happened. Can you help me in this situation right now? We'll talk about it tomorrow. But I need help right now. And then just having having a male tell me, you need to go from nice to not nice in one second. Yep. That was empowering because mm-hmm. I've had to do that. And I was fine with it. Yeah. You know, this is what I need to do. Yep. I have two. And uh, before I sent my daughter to college, we took a self-defense class mm-hmm. and had some frank talks about um, drinks. Yeah. Watching, keeping an eye on things that, you know, being aware of your surroundings, that kind of thing. But um, I don't know that I specifically said that particular advice, the needing to be blunt, that it's okay to be blunt because we did emphasize in our home, and this is the South. Mm -hmm. We have good Mm -hmm. manners. We're sweet. We're kind um, to say, you know, no, well, no means no, obviously, Mm -hmm. but um, if no doesn't mean no, then you can be blunt and you can get ugly and it's okay to not be nice. Yeah. And I think that is one of the thing since I wasn't brought up in a home or reared in a home where we were at church all the time and reading scripture all the time and things like that, it just wasn't, it just wasn't my upbringing. Um, the people who are taught all the time, turn the other cheek, treat others how you want to be treated. The fruit of the spirit, you know, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness. It might be hard to have all of that mindset, which is scriptural and is true, but to turn that and defend yourself mm-hmm. because that doesn't, those don't connect in my mind. Mm-hmm. And so since I, as a dietitian, I've worked with some wonderful social workers and nurses and they've taught me along the way to empower the kids from a physical standpoint. So since my two children have been little bitty, I've said, if you're in trouble, if these things are happening, we want you to and we expect you to fight, kick, scream, punch, bite, choke, like anything you need to to get out of that situation. That's what we expect of you. It's okay mm-hmm. to do all of those things. And I you know, I keep telling them that to circle back to things, but I think that's important to cuz you do have these nice sweet southern little girls and that doesn't always yeah connect mm-hmm. with with the culture that we live in unfortunately. Yeah. That's right. In an ideal culture. Mm-hmm. It wouldn't be that way, but it's not that's not where we are. So if you've liked today's conversation and want to hear more about confidence, tune in next week for part two with Kelly McCasland. As always, you can find us on Facebook and Instagram and share us with your friends and family. We grow by word of mouth primarily, and we love to get new listeners when a friend passes us along to another friend or a mom to a daughter. You get the idea. You can send us your topic suggestions to just ask your mom podcast at gmail.com. And we'll see you next time on Just, just ask, ask Your Mom. mom.